Because you are not your own, because you were bought at a price, because you belong to him, you can be sure that your Savior Jesus, even when the ship gets wrecked, even when the storms come over the edge of the boat, even when there's hunger or whatever you face, you can be sure that he's on your side and he's making a way. We're starting a series called today that we're calling Waymaker. It's really, we're gonna be looking at the miracles of Jesus and how he intervenes powerfully in the lives of his people. Today, we're gonna to be looking at Mark chapter four. Please stand because this is the gospel of Jesus. It's what he did and what he said to us, for us, and about us. The Gospel from Mark chapter four. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. W would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, calm our hearts. Even if you do not calm our lives, calm our hearts with the truth that you are Lord of heaven and earth, that you are Lord of the wind and the waves, that with your voice you not only created all things but control all things. So Lord, by my words, calm your people's hearts today. So let the words of my mouth and the hearing of our ears and hearts, let it all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, who sent the storm? Who sent these wind, the wind and these waves crashing over the side of the boat so that these disciples are, are freaking out? Jesus, don't you care? Who sent the storm? Was it evil? Was it the evil one who was trying to destroy them? Was it, was it some sort of cosmic battle between good and evil that was taking place there in the lake? Maybe the disciples didn't even have chan a chance to think about it, but for the Old Testament people, that was the thing. Because who? Leviathan and Rahab and the great dragon beast lay in the sea. And so the sea, the storms in the sea represented this. For them it represented this cosmic battle between God and the devil, between good and evil. And Revelation gives us the same thing because what is it that comes out of the sea? It's the dragon. It wouldn't be a hard stretch for us to think that when the disciples felt the storm and the waves hitting them in the face and swamping their boat, it wouldn't be much of a stretch for them to think this is a cosmic battle, a storm, a war between God and the devil. Isn't that kind of what we do almost always with this kind of story? We make it a metaphor. 
How, how do you often talk about the troubles and the trials and challenges of your life? We call them storms. And they're big storms and they're little storms. They're, they're rain showers and they're thunderstorms. They're hurricanes and they're just gentle breezes. But no matter what the challenge is, it's not a big stretch for us as we describe our lives to people and give it a metaphor to make it picture something in our minds. We call them storms. So who sent it? Was it the devil? Was it evil trying to destroy the disciples? Or was it God? Was it God who sent this storm? Was it God who sent the waves? Was it God who nearly sunk the boat? Was it God who sent the storm? I suppose I'm asking questions with you that we have no business answering, right? At the end of the day, when you read this account and ask the question, who did it? Who sent the storm? The text gives us no indication that it was God or the devil. And besides all that, even if it was the devil, who's in charge of the devil? God. So even if the devil is the one sending the waves, even, the, even if this is an act of evil, God's still in charge of the evil. So the question we can't answer, though, is what does God want us to learn from it? What, what did Jesus want the disciples to learn from it? Today, I'll just be straightforward with you. There are three lessons that we can. There are more than that, I'm sure. There are three lessons I want to share with you from the storm. We'll get to them in a second. Have you ever noticed how much water is just part of the biblical story? At the very beginning, God created all things, and who's hovering over the surface of the waters? It's the Holy Spirit. Right? There's water at the beginning. And then it's Noah who's in a boat while waters cover the surface of the earth, covering the highest mountain by feet and more than a couple feet. It's, it's God who made water into walls so that Moses and the people of Israel could pass through on dry ground. It's God who, through Moses speaking to the rock, then striking the rock and disobeying God and doing so, it's God who brought water out of the rock. And it's God who piled up the waters on the upstream side of the river so that, so that Joshua and the Israelites could pass through the Jordan River. And it's God who sent a fish, a big fish in a great sea to swallow Jonah. It's God. It's here in Mark, Mark 4, and then again in Mark 6, there's two storms. It's God who sent the, it's the storm, it's the waters, it's the waves, it's the disciples despairing. It's Paul getting shipwrecked at Acts. It's the great dragon coming out of the sea. Have you ever noticed how much water is part of the story? And so here's the first lesson. Sometimes we have to get wet for the lesson to take hold. Sometimes we have to get wet. You can click ahead, guys. Sometimes you have to get wet for the lesson to take hold. Ever since Jesus had been doing his ministry with his disciples, he's been teaching them. They were there part of the crowds when Jesus taught publicly, weren't they? They were there in the synagogue when Jesus opened up the scriptures, when he read it to them and helped them understand its meaning and its understanding and its application. 
They were there when Jesus took them aside and walked on the road from town to town and city to city, teaching them along the way. Jesus was constantly teaching them by words, but also by deeds. What do you think they learned when Jesus cast the demon out of the man and sent him out of the synagogue? What do you think they learned when Jesus was up from dawn till midnight healing and taking care of people? What do you think they learned when Jesus was up early the next morning to pray? What do you think they learned when Jesus said, we can't stay here, we have to keep going? What do you think they learned when Jesus had compassion on a paralytic let down from a roof? What do you think they learned by the deeds that Jesus did? And even here in Mark chapter 4, it's all about Jesus' teaching. First, we, we covered this over the last month. Jesus is teaching parables. He tells them the parable of the sower and the seeds. He even tells them about storms. Do you remember that? He talked about thorns that are going to choke out faith. And he said those thorns are storms and hardships and troubles that choke out faith. He even warned them about this kind of thing. And then that same day, they get in a boat and there's a storm. But the disciples didn't get it. They had just that same day heard Jesus talk about troubles that choke faith, and here they are panicking. Jesus, don't you care? We're going to drown. Can you hear the despair and doubt and desperation in their, in their voice? And then you have Jesus, he's sleeping. And it's almost like Jesus is a foil, the opposite of what the disciples are. Here, here is Jesus asleep, but I don't think he's asleep because he's tired. Probably was, though. And I don't think it's Jesus is asleep because he didn't care, because you know that he did. I think Jesus is asleep because he's fully trusting God. Jesus had taken to heart the words of Psalm, Psalm 127, the Lord gives sleep to those he loves. He sleeps because he trusts God. He sleeps because he entrusted his cause to the Lord. He knew that he couldn't die in the water. He had to die in a piece of wood. This was not going to be his end. The cross would be. So he slept because he trusted the disciples, despaired because they didn't. See, sometimes we have to get wet for the lesson to take hold. When I was in high school and college, I relived that. This, I, I was a lifeguard and a swim instructor. It's kind of funny how my kids are doing the same thing, not my doing. And, and one of the fun things about being a swim instructor was trying to take kids who were scared of water and to try to get them to put their heads in the water. So that at the, at the beginning of the week and then to the end of the week, on the beginning of the week, they didn't even want to get their feet in the water. And at the end of the week, they're reaching down for a, a diving stick and they're grabbing it and blowing bubbles while they do it. The other thing I like to do was take kids who couldn't swim and teach them the basics. You know, it, I, I always wanted it to be more than a doggy paddle, but sometimes that is as far as I could get. But I, I wanted them to swim. And my goal was by the end of the week, to get them to the deep end of the pool to the diving board where they could jump off. And by that time, I want you to know they already had all the skills to swim at least 15 feet without touching the bottom. So I knew that they could do it. They had learned everything they needed to do. So I'd, I'd take them to the edge of the diving board. And then one by one, they jump. 
And you know how this goes, right? There's these, there, you, can, you can imagine in your heads, there's the, the kids who get to the end of the diving board and they're doing their little pee dance, not because they have to go to the bathroom, but because they're scared. And they're looking and they're stepping back and they're looking and they're stepping back and they're like going to jump and then they run back. I, I'm not sure how I kept my job, but one little girl, I picked her up and I dropped her off the end. She was not my kid, just a kid in my class. And you knew what? know what? She swam. She made it to the end. I was watching the whole time so that if she even had a hint of not going to make it, I was going to be right there to pull her in every time. Sometimes you have to get wet for the lesson to take hold. See, see, sometimes the mountains have to fall into the heart of the sea, Psalm 46. Sometimes the ha- waves have to crash into your face, this account in Mark chapter 4. Sometimes the boat almost has to sink. Sometimes, like Peter, you have to sink beneath the waves. So, sometimes you have to get really wet. Sometimes you really have to struggle, and we hate to say that this way. But sometimes we need to get wet to struggle to face the challenges for the lesson that Jesus wants to teach us to take hold. So now what's the lesson? What does Jesus want the disciples to learn? Well, for, let's just go back. For Noah, God wanted to teach him to trust him even when they were locked up in the boat and the waters were covering the earth. For Moses, it was teaching him to trust that God could keep those waters held up as walls. For Moses, it was, Moses, don't, don't rebel against me. God kept him out of the promised land when he beat the rock instead of speaking to it. For Jonah, it was, Jonah, you better not run away from me. So, so what does God want the disciples, us, to learn today? I'll give this to you in two parts. First, it's this. God's intervention is not dependent on our faith. God's intervention in your life does not depend on you. Should the disciples have trusted Jesus? Yes. They had so much cause and reason to trust in him. All the miracles that they had seen, the water to wine, the healed paralytic, the healed blind, the demon cast out, the, the, all the things that Jesus had done and said to this point, not to mention 4,000 years of Old Testament faithfulness to stand on. Did the disciples have reason to trust in him? Yes. A hundred times yes. But did they? We could say kind of, because where do they go when they're in trouble? They go to Jesus. I mean, that's what we do when we're in trouble. That's where we go. We, we call to him. We pray to him. That Jesus himself tells us, cast your cares on me because I care about you. Right? He was the one who has the power, so where else are they going to go when they're in trouble? So did, did they trust him? Well, kind of, but also no. Because they come to him with, with practically an accusation. I, I don't know how else to read this. There's other ways perhaps in the Greek, but when you read this in English, I don't know how else to read it. Don't you care, Jesus? We're going to drown. I don't know how else to read this except to read into the disciples' hearts the, a, a measure of disbelief and doubt and accusation. Should they have trusted him? Yes. Did they trust him? Kind of. 
But notice, Jesus still intervenes. Before he silences them for their unbelief, he silences the waves, smashing them in the face. Before he rebukes them for cowardice, he rebukes the wind and tells it to be quiet. Jesus intervened even when they were doubting him. And isn't that the way of Jesus? When when Moses struck the rock instead of speaking to it, did not God still give water from the rock? And, 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 and when Peter doubts Jesus and he's walking on the water, did not God, Jesus still reach down and grab him by the hand? That's a different story, by the way, not this one. And when Jonah ran away and rebelled from God, did not God, even though Jonah wanted nothing to do with him, did not God chase him down and fetch him with a fish? And when Thomas doubted, did Jesus say, well, just believe what the guys have to say? No, Jesus showed up and said, Thomas, look. See, God's intervention in our life does not depend on you. There is no, well, guys, let's wait until you get your trust together. When you finally believe in me all the way, when you trust in me perfectly, then I'll help you. There is no wait and see, get your act together from God. There's certainly that. I want you to believe in me 100%, God says. But that does not, God does not wait for that to intervene and to help. God's intervention in your life is not dependent on your faith. But, here's part two, your faith is dependent on his power and on his care. What do we stand on? We stand on who he is and what he's done. And, and, and you, ha- you know this, that our God has a track record, an eternal track record of being faithful and powerful and compassionate. Why do you think Peter, the second time there's a storm, dares to walk on the waves? Because he learned something. Perhaps it was here, perhaps it was something else, but through the course of Jesus teaching him through word and act, Peter's learning to trust Jesus just a little bit more. And every time God intervenes in the scriptures, he's laying down another brick in the foundation for our faith so that we can look back to Noah and say, God protected Noah from the flood in the boats. God provided for him. And by protecting and providing for Noah, God provided a Savior for us. We, we can look back at the Red Sea and say, our God, same God, our God made walls out of water and destroyed enemies. Our God brought water out of a rock even to a rebellious prophet. God used a rebellious prophet and ate him with a fish and spit him back out to save 120,000 plus. Our God calms seas for his disciples and saves Paul from shipwrecks. And that's just, that's even before we were born. And your, your story has countless acts of God's intervention that you know about 
and probably many that you don't. Your faith, dear people of God, it's built on the solid bedrock of the power and the care of Jesus, the power and care of our triune God who hasn't stopped being faithful and won't. So here's where this all leads. Jesus is still in the boat with us. The disciples, they did face a literal storm. I'm trying not to make this so metaphorical that you miss the miracle. The disciples were in a storm, and Jesus saved them from it. And two chapters later, they were in another storm. This time, Jesus wasn't in the boat with them, but he came walking on the water, called Peter to him. And I haven't faced a storm like that, but I faced troubles and hardships, and and you have too. And and we're going to face them again. We're going to turn the page in our life, and another one's coming. I'm not trying to talk about shoes dropping, but we live in a world of sin. And Jesus promised that there would be thorns and thistles along the way. Jesus is in the boat with us. And even if he's sleeping... That's all that matters. Because if Jesus is in the boat with us, who's with us? It's the one who controls the wind and the waves. It's the one who tells mountains to stand in their place. It's the one, we read this in Job, it's the one who put doors and bars and gates for the oceans. It's the one who created us, who who redeemed us with his blood. It's the one who didn't perish in water but perished on a cross, who then rose from the dead for you. Who's with you in the boat? It's Jesus. And if, even if he's sleeping, what does that mean? It means he's not worried about it. And if Jesus isn't worried about, what are we freaking out about? I want you to do something with me. I want you to look up right here in the body of the church. What do you, you can answer this if you want or don't. What do you see? Bottom of the boat. If you look right down the center, I don't know what this is called. I tried to research it, but it's like it's the rib of the bottom of a boat. Keel. Sounds right. Somebody knows more than I do. Good. And then you, you have the ribs and you have the planks. Churches, not all churches are built like this, but ours is, and it's kind of cool. The body of the church is sometimes called a nave, as in like naval, as in like boats, as in like ships, because it people, architects and church people were thinking, we want the church to be the ark for the people of God. See, and now do you see what's happened? We're back to water again. By water, we've been put in the boat with Jesus. By water, we've been put into the ark of the church. And every time we worship, we're in it. And even when we leave this building, we're still in it. By water, we've been put into the ark of the church. And if Jesus is with us in the boat, even if he's sleeping, that's all that matters. You're safe with him, people of God. Amen?
Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Amen.